I would say, I wish someone told me, just sat me down and said, you're not going to know everything getting out. You're not expected to know everything, but make a decision and go with it. And I feel like that's another, another kind of repeating cycle that veterans can find themselves in of, okay, this didn't work. Now I'm going here and I'm going there. Um, or they don't make a decision at all. They say, well, I'm overwhelmed with resources. I'm overwhelmed with different options. Like, I don't, I don't know which way to go. Um, and, and for myself, like, we always want to be that expert, that person to go to for things. We want to be the people or the person that knows everything, but simply getting out and not having that experience before. It's a brand new situation that you're in, the entire uh, transition experience. And so... By nature, you're not going to have everything figured out. You're not going to know exactly what your path looks like every single day. A lot of things are going to be ambiguous in that, but make a decision, adjust course as you go, and then learn from each of those lessons, which for me was, that was probably one of the most impactful and beneficial things that I did. Um, Army calls it AARs or after action reports or after action reviews. Um, but I did that after every single interview I did, whether it went well or whether it was horrible after every job submission, uh, hearing back from the recruiter, I would say, okay, what, what went right? What went wrong? How can we improve on this for next time? And that minute iteration of my practices and what I found most beneficial, what actually worked in the civilian world is I feel what really led me up to where I'm at today. Do solemnly swear, Do solemnly swear that, I will support and that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Post-Military Podcast. I'm your host, Billy, and this is the podcast where we provide you holistic advice for transitioning from one chapter of your life to another. Today on this episode is uh, my friend, John. John, thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure to be here, Billy. Thanks. Is that a is that a Lego set behind you, or what is that thing on the printer? Yeah, that is that's uh, the office Lego set. That is uh, that is cool. Do you do you have that because you work from home and you want to feel like you're in an office, or what's the uh, why do you have a Lego office an office Lego set on your printer? Yeah, it's not necessarily uh, to remind me of the office. Um, yeah. It, it's based on the show, The Office, so it's uh, uh, the, the mock-up or the layout of the entire, yeah. um, that whole thing. So, oh just, wow, the whole floor of Dunder Mifflin is uh, on is in that Lego set. For the most part, it's all there. That's awesome. Uh, are you an off? Are you like one of those Office fans who's watched it on repeat like fifteen times or anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's probably more like twenty or twenty-five at this point. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> I got I got kind of sucked into it when I was in Korea, and we, we'll get into the whole history of the military yeah, and where we go with that. But uh, yeah, I was just in my barracks room, super bored. Uh, the PX had a series of The Office, so I figured I'd pick it up. Season one is kind of what from there. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, you. Uh, it's funny. I know so many people who have watched The Office like twenty times, and I've never seen it. So that's uh, it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, Especially working in cyber, I'm ingrained in pop culture, and uh, so many people go, "You've never seen The Office? That's crazy! Like, what's wrong with you?" And uh, it's always really funny to field those questions. But talking about your military history, 
tell all of the listeners what you did in this service. Yes. So mine is, I would say mine is a bit unique uh, in that I was dual service. So um, it's like a general history. I joined right out of high school. So come from a military background with my family. So it was kind of always in the back of my head that this was probably the route I was going to take. Uh, so senior year comes around and of course you're getting closer, you know, everyone else is applying to college and I'm like, well, now or never. So let's figure out what we're going to do here. Uh, originally thought about joining the Marines first, you know, you go down to the, the recruiting office and you know, everyone sees their, their dress blues or whatever they call them. And they're like, I want to do that just because of that. And so looks, they look, they look fantastic. The Marines make excellent uniforms. They, they absolutely do. There's no doubt about that. So you have to start talking to Marine recruiter. They're like, yeah, well, you know, we'll pick you up on so-and-so day. So just, just wait for us and we'll be there. So like, All right, cool. Uh, so sitting out, waiting out on my front porch, waiting, waiting, you know, 10, 15 minutes go by and no one shows up. And eventually, you know, after like 30 minutes of waiting, I'm like, well, this isn't the best first impression for, you know, something I'm going to commit at least like four years of my life to. So um Went back to the recruiting office, took a look at the Air Force. You know, everyone's kind of coaxing me that way anyway. Great branch. Oh, Great branch, cool. That it is. So, joined, decided on the Air Force. Uh, went in uh, as a firefighter, did four years there with that. And then um, I got to deploy pretty early, which is super cool. So, I got to my first duty station and six months into it, uh, they're like, okay, we got a deployment cycle coming up and we're looking for one person to fill another Another person, uh, their wife was having a baby, so they wanted to stay back and they were looking for a placement. And, you know, being a single guy, I was like, you know, what else am I going to do? Uh, so jumped on that, really liked that deployed environment and, and just the connectedness to the mission and clarity with everything you're doing on a daily basis. Um, so did that, really got, again, I was like super involved and ingrained in that type of environment. Uh, came back stateside, went to uh, another base and was just kind of, you know, um, you're familiar with the Air Force, uh, Laughlin, which is in Del Rio, Texas. Pilot training base, but outside of that, there's not a lot happening Nothing. there. No. You're right on the border of Texas and Mexico. And, and, and we did get really great margaritas in Mexico, but... I believe that. It, it wasn't enough for me to spend another two years there. So, you know, I was like, well, I either spend these two years here or I look at alternate options. And I'm not sure if they still have the program at the time. It's called Blue to Green, where you could transfer mid-contract between uh, Air Force or Navy into the Army. So looked at that and I was like, well, the, the infantry, they probably deploy a lot more. And and at this point, I, I had just picked up um, a promotion. And so when I went to talk to the Army recruiter, they're like, well, you could be a combat engineer, you can be an infantryman, and there's like one or two other options. And I, I was already kind of set on infantry, so I was like, all right, we're doing that. And then, um, yeah, spent four years in the the Army, realized right off the bat within like the first five minutes that there's a big culture difference between the Air Force and the Army. So it took a little bit of getting used to, you know, uh, more of the kind of that military mindset and culture that, that comes with a lot of the Army jobs. Uh, did four years there, and then got out after that. And yeah, I'm sure we'll go into the whole transition story and everything that's involved with that. But yeah, it's general overview. And so when, uh, at what point were you in Korea buying office box sets from the PX? Yeah. So I, um, I went through, so when I did the transition over to the army, um, 
at the time they had a thing called warrior transition course, which is out in, um, white sands, New Mexico is run by a national guard unit. And that's kind of just to like an accelerated basic training. So I, mm. you go through that, it's like a month long. Um, and then one of the unique things about the combat arms, MOSs in the army is that at least for the enlisted is they, they combine, uh, what would be like the basic training in the tech school or what they call the AIT portion. And so all that is pretty much condensed into one long basic training session. So you graduate basic training at week eight or whatever it is. And then week nine is it's the exact same thing. You don't change units. You don't go to another base. Um, it's just another, another day in the life. And so went through all of that. Um, they put me back in like week four initially, which, could, you know, of course they, you know, never trust the recruiter or what they say. And that's, that, that happened to be the case. So. Yeah, went through a, a large portion of the uh, Army basic training and, of course, all of their AIT for uh, the infantry school. And then my first duty assignment after that was to Korea. It's a 12-month assignment there. Um, was it really my choice? I don't, I don't even remember if they gave me, like, a, a list of bases of, hey, get, you know, at least tell us where you might want to go. It was more so, like, hey, you're going to Korea. So, um, yeah, February 15th, be there. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, First duty station in the army side was Camp Casey, Korea. What a what a culture shock going from the Air Force to Korea and in the army. Um, what was your first duty station in the Air Force? Air Force side was uh, Spengdahlem, Germany. So I got I got pretty lucky with wow. that. Yeah, <laughs> and that was probably my my favorite assignment. Uh, yeah, so, I would imagine so. Yeah, That's, uh, what a what a Germany for your first location in the Air Force, Korea your first location i mean you're living the globe trotting dream man that's uh that's a pretty that's a pretty sweet uh that's a pretty sweet set of um set of bases to go to at least i don't know if korea was desirable back then it is now but uh it's uh um i'm it sounds like it would be cool at the very least um so what was the catalyst for you for transitioning out of the military at that point yeah so um Went through Korea, did that. And then my follow-on assignment after that was Fort Hood or Fort Cremasos, as they call it now, uh, which I'm still getting used to calling it that and all of these new uh, names that they have for it, but it, it'll come. Uh, so I go to Fort Cremasos and spend about a year. So the unit I was assigned to there, they had just gotten back from deployment. Um, and it was right into another cycle. So we were ramping right back up. It was like a month of R&R. &R, and then, all right, here's our training plan. Um, expect 12 months from now, we're going to be deploying again. And so I jumped straight into that training cycle. Um, and as luck would have it, 12 months later, we get slotted for uh, deployment to Iraq. We do a year there and then uh, come back. I come back about two or three weeks early because um, I jump straight into ETSing at that point. Uh, so spend, I, and they had like um, a policy where it was like you had to be in, in the States for at least two months or 60 days um, before you actually ETS, just so they don't just throw you completely out into the civilian world. Um, and, and so as I was in Iraq, um, I pretty much already had my mind set up that once I got back, like I'm, I'm not planning to re-enlist. Um, I don't really know what I'm going to do in the civilian side, but I know like the military and just that ops tempo and being in for eight years at that point, I never went in intending for it to be a career. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was already pretty, pretty much set on my, my decision that I was going to get out. Um, 
and, and again, I didn't know what the uh, civilian side was going to hold for me, but it was kind of just like, we'll figure that out when we get there. Okay. And so for you in that moment, there wasn't any, the desire to not maintain that ops tempo was greater than the possible fear of the unknown of leaving the military. Yeah, I would, I would say it was more so just, you know, I, I had spent the time in the military. I had had that experience, seen a few different locations. And, you know, I, I just, I didn't really have a whole lot of intent on making that. Like, you know, I didn't want to do another 12 years in the military. Uh, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great option for a lot of people. But for myself, I was I was just ready for a change and something else. And so, um yeah, it was, it was pretty much made up that once once the contract was over, it's time to get out and we'll figure out what our, our next chapter is going to hold after that. Got it. So you get back early to satisfy your ETS requirement. And how much time was there between getting back from the deployment and you getting your DD-214? Yeah, so I got back uh, got back one day before Thanksgiving. And I, I remember it was the worst, worst Thanksgiving ever because, you know, I'm like, I don't really... All of my friends, they're still back overseas, so I don't really have anyone to hang out with. So Thanksgiving, I'm eating like a 7-Eleven burrito or something. It's oh, horrible. That's but um, yeah, I got back day before Thanksgiving and then um, had a bit of leaps accumulated. And so uh, I think it was mid-January when I signed out on terminal leave. But I mean, just, just that last month or so being there while everyone else got back. Um, they assigned me to uh, the rear detachment or rear D as they call it, where you're pretty much just working with all the people that came in while the unit was deployed. And they're just kind of waiting for everyone to get back so they can integrate in process with their teams. Um, so long monotonous days of just leading a group of, of new soldiers around picking up trash and like base housing. I was like, yeah, if, if you want to try and change my mind or reenlist, like this is not doing it. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, what um and so, okay so then while you were waiting to get out when you were attached to rear D were you doing anything to prepare for your exit like was that was that even kind of on your mind yeah so um like the whole transition in my in my transition transition getting out I tell people it's like a case study and what you don't want to do getting out. <laughs> Just because like, like everything that you should be doing, like I wasn't doing, or I was doing it the wrong way. And so of course, like they have like, you know, taps or the transition or uh, transition assistance program to go through. So you go into briefings for that, um, all these different things to kind of help prepare you for it. But my, yeah. my kind of thing was, I just didn't really like have interest in it. Uh, I had kind of put all my eggs in one basket where I was like, um, I'm going to go back overseas as a civilian contractor. I'm going to do that for like three years and just make, you know, make the money that they make, which is a good salary compared to a lot of the, uh, the military side. So I'm going to go do that. You know, I'm already used to that tempo and that environment. So it's not like a huge thing for me. And at the time I was single, so, you know, no one's holding me back from making that decision. But, um, mm -hmm. at the same time, um, we were, so when, when we were in Iraq, like we were already closing it down. It was during one of the drawdowns that happened. And so we're, we're closing up bases. We're heading further and further south towards Kuwait. And, you know, that's kind of a logical person would see that as a warning sign that, Hey, if you're looking for a job over here in like six months, there, there might not be as many as you think there are. Um, but me, me and my dumb 25 year old mind, like I didn't put two and two together 
So that was my, that was my one goal is I'm going to go back overseas. I'll do contracting for firefighting. I know a lot of buddies that have done that. So it's, it's an easy fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, like I start going through that process and, and looking for jobs and stuff like that. Uh, again, with a lot of that, I waited until I was already separated, which is another thing not to do. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, during that initial like month and a half that I was back before I signed out on terminal leave, there really wasn't a lot of preparation that I was doing, which is again, the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Like that's when you really have the pedal of the metal. Like you're, you have all those dots connected by that point, ideally. And you're just like figuring out exactly when that next chapter is going to start. But for, I mean, for me, it was more, you know, let's just go, let's go drink a six pack of Bud Light Platinum. Let, let's just, let's just party. Let's hang out or relax. And then, you know, we'll get to that bridge when we get there. So yeah, horrible planning on my part and, and everything that followed. Something that I want to highlight kind of spoiler for the rest of your story. You now run is a nonprofit called Trailhead. Uh, which is designed to help people with their transition. Um, so with that context and also the context of what your transition looked like, what would be your top, we'll say, I know you've got a ton of advice on it. What would you say are your top three things that you advise people now to be doing in their transition to not be the second coming of, john griffith's case study on how not to transition out of the army absolutely yeah and, and for any of the listeners please do not end up being case study number two on this because <laughs> it is, i would tell you it's miserable and it's not the path you want to take um but as far as if i had to go back and redo it my top three things would be number one uh starting early and probably earlier than you expect to start um the advice that i give people is one to two years before you even think about getting out possibly even even longer than that i mean ideally once and i don't think anyone really thinks in this mindset but once you're in the military start thinking about what's happening after the military so if you're in for four years you know you can start knocking out your college um you know college courses and you can get a full bachelor's even a master's degree while you're in uh, and then that's going to take away from your gi bill and it's completely free on your part so just kind of setting up those building blocks for what it's going to look like as you get out, but at a minimum, I'd recommend one to two years before your ETS date, start prepping, start figuring out what's going to happen next and closing those gaps between where you're at right now and where you want to be. Um, and then number two, I would say start talking to people, do informational interviews. So figure out, and, and the thing is, you're not going to know exactly, you're not going to know everything getting out. You might have an expectation that, you know, you, you're going to know a lot more than you do, but there are a lot of curveballs that get thrown your way, regardless of how much planning you do. Um, one of the ways to mitigate that is by speaking with other individuals. So once you figure out like, okay, I want to go, you know, X company or Y company are two that I'm highly interested in. This is kind of the, the career field that I, I want to work in. So I'm going to get on LinkedIn. I'm going to start reaching out to people, figure out who's already in those roles. Um, a best practice that I found is connecting with other veterans that are in those roles, just because you already have that commonality of being in the military. Even if you haven't served in the same unit or, or in the same branch, at least you're both veterans. It really lowers that barrier when it comes to opening up those communication channels. Uh, so do the informational interviews. And then I, I have like 50 things written down. I'm trying to figure out what my third one is here. Um, 
let's see. So I know we'll probably get into self-identity, so I'll save the yes. self-identity and all that stuff. Um, I, I would say third would be start to start to learn how to properly format and write a resume geared for the civilian world. And then along with that, learn how to interview in a civilian world and whether you have to go on YouTube and watch examples of it or, or read different articles uh, or simply doing the informational interviews with others and, and talking about what their interview experience was like. Uh, that was a big surprise for me because getting out for whatever reason, I had the assumption that military or that civilian interviews are going to be like a military promotion board, um, you know, where they want a one to two word answer in less than five seconds. And you got, you got to have it at the top of your, your head immediately. And and that's definitely not what a lot of civilian employers are looking for. Uh, so know how to format and write that resume for the civilian world, as well as how to interview and plan that job. I think informational interviews were probably the thing that helped me out the most in my transition because I got a lot of that other information through those conversations. Uh, I got better at interviewing because I actually knew what to say because I had so many veterans who would tell me, Hey, we don't use, we don't talk like this. We refer to things like this um, to, Hey, check out this nonprofit. That'll help you write your resume. Shout out trailhead. They do that. Um, and so there's all of these different cool things that come from those informational interviews that if you're willing to go out and have those conversations, they really, really help. So I completely agree. Um, and the other thing I definitely want to highlight that you just said is how early you should start. I think that people, well, definitely don't start after you separate, uh, again, referencing the, <laughs> like, like, um, the, that that's going to put you in a very tough position, but I really do think one to two years is an amazing recommendation because I really do think that there's a, an action stage of your transition, which is where you're applying for jobs and you're doing asking for recommendations and you're really going out and trying to get employment and then get a new house and all those other things. But then there's also this whole ideation phase that can really extend out, like you said, as far as you want it to. And we'll get into the idea of identity and building a holistic view of yourself post-military, but that's where all of that stuff needs to happen, um, which I agree. People think it's crazy that it's like, well, you just got here. Why are you already thinking about the next thing? But you really kind of have to because it's a lot, it's a lot of work um, to decouple yourself from that. And so segueing now, um, when you got out of the military, you hit your separation date. Um, what was that like for you as someone who had been in, how long had you been in the army slash air force at that point? Oh, it was four and four for a total of eight. Okay. And so first time stepping out of the army in your adult or in the military in your adult life, what was that like for you? Yeah. So getting out, uh, for me, again, going back to my, my horrible kitty study was just the, being naive of, mm. you know, okay, I had this expectation that just because I was in the military, um, employers are going to see that on my resume and they're going to start pounding my door down saying, hey, we want to hire you, uh, which was not the case. So for me, that was, that was a big surprise at first because mm. 
I really thought it was going to be a lot easier than it actually was to get out. I thought I can put in my resume at three different employers and I'm going to get three callbacks on those. And I didn't. And so for me, it was just figuring out, okay, like I have my, my, all my eggs in one basket that I'm doing of, I'm, I want to go back overseas, do contracting. So, you know, every day I'm, I'm searching for openings on there. And of course there's not, there's none. So I started expanding my search further and further out to pretty much anything that's open. Uh, I'm applying, I'm making more no-nos, like not customizing my resume, uh, not highlighting my accomplishments and, and so forth. But yeah, as I got out during those initial few weeks, it, w- it was pretty much catch up for me because all that planning that I should have been doing in those weeks and months leading up to getting out, I wasn't doing. And now I was like, okay, well, I have my 214 now. Um, things are real. I'm not in the military anymore. I'm, I'm on terminal leave, but you know, paychecks are going to end really soon for this. So we need to figure out exactly what's going to happen. And so that's when I really started to enter into that career exploration of, okay, plan A isn't exactly working out. Like what does our plan B look like? Because at that point I had I hadn't even considered what a po- possible plan B could be. And so now I'm left, you know, eating up more time, eating up more savings, trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen next, because I honestly didn't know. What did you do then to kind of unstick yourself from that? Well, actually, first, before we get into like how you move through that, what was that like for you mentally within that transition? Like, because you go from someone who has like a driving purpose, you've got a place to go, you're getting paid, people are telling you where to go, and then all that gets taken away and you're very rapidly approaching like a cliff where you don't have money anymore. Um, What was that like for you mentally and emotionally? Yeah, it was certainly tough. Like at at first, because, you know, coming from the military, you're naturally a resilient person. Uh, You're used to having obstacles in your way that you can overcome. And so at first it, it was like that, that, okay, I'm not getting a call back from this or, you know, I'm not sure what path or direction I'm going to take. That's okay. Like we'll figure it out. We've been in situations like this before. Um, but eventually each of the, each one of those little fail, I call them, whether it's a mini failure or a mini roadblock, whatever you want. Um, each one of those start to add up to where they become cumulative. And so for me, it got to the point where I was like, okay, you know, you, you kind of look at your where you were six months ago versus where you're at today. And in my case, I was like, okay, well, six months ago, I was leading, you know, multiple teams in Iraq. We had clear mission, purpose, and direction every single day. Like you would get up and you would never have the question of what are we doing today? Like it was, it was already pre-planned days and weeks before that. And so going from that to just the ambiguity of I'm going to wake up and I don't know what's going to happen. And I've already had a few failures happen, meaning that I'm not hearing back from any of these jobs that I applied to. And that just kind of continued for a long while. And I, at that point, you, you would think that a, a red flag be raised of like, okay, this isn't working out. Like, let's figure out what the core root of this is, what the cause is of why we're not getting callbacks. And let's start to make some changes and figure out where we can go from here. But being the dumb 
25 year old John. I was like, well, we'll just, they just don't get it. Like, we'll just keep putting it in. You know, we're not going to change anything. The more we apply, eventually we're going to get a bite on it. And for me, you know, you know, that, that frustration creeps in, you, you start to feel like a failure really, because again, comparing yourself like where you were six months ago versus where you're at today is definitely was it's not what I was expecting where I would be. And so for me, you know, all of that, like, I just wanted to have a way to escape. And for me, and, and I know it's, it happens to a number of other veterans and it's pretty unfortunate, but we turn to alcohol, uh, drugs in some cases as a potential coping mechanism for that. And so for me, it was alcohol. Um, the setting and environment I was in wasn't exactly conducive to sobriety, uh, meaning that the rest of my teammates, they were still active military and I was living with a few of them. Um, and so, you know, Friday and Saturday come around and everyone's partying. We have the whole team over in our house, uh, lighting off fireworks, getting the cops called on us. We had a bunch of ruffians, but yeah. And that was kind of how I drowned out those frustrations, at least temporary. But, you know, like anything with alcohol, like once you start to sober up, comes back and you're back in the same situation, if not worse than where you were before. Um, it, in my case, you know, I, I've always been someone that's into fitness, that's into the running and, and working out. And I wasn't doing any of that. Like, and it, that kind of plays into uh, another point I have of creating micro goals for yourself as you transition out. Um, I didn't have those micro goals. I wasn't running. I wasn't, you know, I didn't, wasn't checking a box to do my daily workout. And that, you know, led me to gaining 40 or 50 pounds in five or six months as I got out. So that just kind of piled on all those micro failures that I was already having. Um, and, and then for me, I mean, it, it led me down a pretty dark path with that because you combine the, the weight gain that I was having with all of the frustrations of uh, not hearing back from employers and then alcohol being a depressant itself, all that combined to me to where I found myself probably three or four months into that, into my transition, being on a dark path where, you know, pretty much every weekend, everyone else in the house would go to bed and I'd go to bed, you're drunk. And I would just sit in my bed with my, I had a handgun that sat on the side of my bed and I would just put that to the side of my head and just think like, you know, is it really worth it? Like, I, I don't necessarily want to die, but I don't want to keep living this way with these daily frustrations that I'm having because this definitely isn't where I thought I would be six months into my transition and um getting into that like like it was it was repetitive so every week that's where i every weekend every weekend night that's where i found myself drunk in my bed at a night or a 40 cal to the side of my head and just sitting there contemplating and for me the thing that that got me out of it at least initially to kind of like build that momentum going forward was trying to get back into fitness so i took a you know took a long, hard look in the mirror. Um, and I said, okay, well, look at you, you're 40, 50 pounds overweight. Like things aren't working out the way you want to. You're not, you have really no purpose or mission every day. Like you get up and all, you get up and what you're looking forward to is Friday and Saturday night. And that's really it. So I was like, okay, we're going to start to set micro goals. We're going to get back into running. We're going to start off this week. Uh, we're going to run a single mile. Um, and come from someone that's always had, you know, I've always maxed out my, my runs on my PT, PT tests. And, you know, that first run, like I had to stop 
doing doing a mile run and i was like man like okay i i cannot quit at a half mile and, and turn back like we're gonna at least finish it we're gonna get this mile done we're gonna check that box uh so did that and then it just progressed like you start to build that momentum the week two was two miles week three was three and so forth uh building up into the double digits and that i think is what really started to initially at least initially start to get that wheel moving and start to build that snowball to get that momentum to to drive out of that dark place. First, that's amazing that you were able to recover from that tailspin. Um, but something I'm really interested in is what's the, what was the catalyst there? Like that's a pretty hard pivot to go from, I'm just doing the weekly cycle of bumming it, then drinking, then contemplating like suicide to I'm now having the self-awareness to look at myself in the mirror and go, this is messed up and you need to turn it around. So like, was it that simple? Like, did you really just say like one day I wasn't paying attention and the next day I was, um, what, what allowed you to kind of bounce back or allow you to have enough self-awareness to go, I need to start setting these micro goals. I need to start running again. Like what, what was that like for you? Yeah. So I, I don't think I could pinpoint it to a single moment in time where you, you look at yourself and you say, okay, today's the day. Like we're going for a run right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was more so week after week, you look at yourself, you know, mm. uh, of course I had my transition beard going is a lot longer than it is these days, but you know, your beard starts to grow and then like, of course, like start to get like a beer belly and stuff like that. You're like, yeah. okay, like this is acceptable still. Like I'll just do it next week. You have a little bit more and a little bit more. And you're, you start to see yourself put in, put on those pounds week after week. And eventually it just kind of got to the point where like, okay, like something's got to change. Like continuing on this cycle is, is not the way we want to want to keep going because who knows how much deeper we can go down the hole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something, something needs to change. And again, I don't think it was a single moment, but it was just over time. Like maybe it may have started as like a thought of like, what if we ran and then next week, like, okay, like how far would we run? And then the week after that, like, mm. okay, let's, let's like pick a date and then we'll go from there. And then finally you're like, you know what? I'm just, just sick of it. Like, let's, let's get something done. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think that it's amazing that you do that you ended up taking that path. I just am. It's just so interesting because as I talk to more people, one commonality is everyone kind of hits this dark place. Then they have this moment of clarity where they finally realize, oh, this is what I was missing or this is why I needed to change to kind of turn it around as they hit this negative downturn post-military. Um, and the question that I'm always interested in is how do you – recover because the problem with the downspin is there's two one of two things happens you have some recovery and then you end up better than you were before because you've kind of gone through this crucible or you continue to just tank and then you like bad things happen as that down as that downturn continues and i'm i'm always curious what what do you think is what do you think is necessary to get someone out of that negative uh tailspin yeah it's you had to have mission you have to have purpose you have to have direction and the the thing 
with that is it's it's such a vast difference. So, for example, when when we're in the military, we have all those things. We have officers and NCOs that provide the direction. You have a clear mission. You have a clear purpose. And again, you know exactly what you're doing every day. And then you get into the civilian world. You transition out and you're pretty much left to figure all that out by yourself. You no longer have officers and NCOs telling you, okay, this is where you need to be. This is what you need to do. And this is what today's plan is going to look like. You don't know what your mission is. You don't know what uh, purpose is anymore because if you're not taking that time to uh, to spend introspecting and figuring out exactly what do I want to do because I have the choice and the freedom now, if you don't, think about that stuff. And that's one of the things you should be doing during those one to two years before you getting it, get out of figuring out, okay, what path do I want to take? If you, if you don't do that, then that's when you, I feel like that's when things start to go downhill because you don't have a reason for getting up every day. You don't have a reason for, for, you know, going to a job or paying your bills or improving yourself or your relationships with others. And so I feel like that could also be one of the things that helps get you out. And for me, that was kind of it. Um, I mean, the, the direction and purpose was I'm going to run this mile. Uh, I'm going to keep applying to jobs. Eventually I did, you know, interview for jobs and landed a job after that. So that probably played a, an additional contributing factor in it. Um, but at least having something to look forward to every single day, regardless of how small it is, you need a reason to wake up and a reason to step out of bed every morning. Yeah, and I think that your advice on micro goals, that's where that plays in so well because you really do need those small wins in the day to keep you going as you search for that higher purpose or that higher meaning as you reassemble the holistic values of your life as the mil because like in the military it was all kind of this one thing like you said it's all given to you by the military and then you have to redefine it and find it for yourself outside and so those small goals on the daily are the things that keep you going as you continue to search for those those big rocks that um you're looking for and if you don't change things change things in degrees then you just have to change everything immediately. And that's terrifying. Like you can't move that mountain immediately. Um, but if you look at it that way, then you won't even try because it's impossible. Uh, so I think that that's, I think that that's amazing um, advice. And so when, so when you started this recovery period where you were running more, uh, you're working out, what did, uh, what ended up, what happened from there? Yeah, so I'm building up my miles every week. I'm starting to feel a little bit better for myself because, of course, natural endorphins that are released from that kind of oppose um, everything that comes with the drinking and stuff like that. Um, started to cut down on that as well, which, of course, probably helped with it. Um, interviewed for a job. It, it wasn't a job that you know I wasn't passionate about that I ever thought I'd be doing after getting out, which was working as a, for, I worked for an ambulance company is transporting uh, patients, whether it's from the nursing home to the hospital or vice versa. Um, but again, it gave me a reason to get up every day. Uh, it was a job. So we paid off bills up to that point. I was just racking up, uh, most of my debt that I had at the time was just going on the credit cards, uh, just to preserve whatever I did have left in savings from the deployment and everything like that. 
And so it allowed me to pay off bills to stop taking on debt and again, to have that purpose. And so I spent, um, spent a few months doing that. And then eventually I made the, because while all this was going on, I was still in the, uh, the Fort Cravasso's, uh, clean Texas area, been away from my family for just over eight years, probably close to nine years at that point. Um, and figured that it was time, like it was time for a change to at least go home. Like we can reassess what happens from there, but being in this environment and, you know, as much as you love your military friends and your buddies, like eventually at some point, everyone says goodbye and goes their own ways. Like you still have that bond. You still have that friendship and all those memories together, but everyone's going to go back to their hometowns or different areas and, and their life goes on from there. And so for me, I, I didn't want to leave them, but at that point I decided like I, my family comes first. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to see them. I'm going to, I'm going to live within driving distance, at least of them. And then we can figure out what our next steps are after that. But at, by that point I had already, you know, I dug myself out by, out of the majority of that hole. Of course there were still challenges in the day to day, but it was nowhere near when I was at my lowest. And so, yeah, men ended up moving back to Michigan uh, and then, yeah goes all the way. Everything's uphill from there. So when you go back to Michigan, which I'm from Ohio, so that's tough. Oh, uh, no. Tough to, yeah, I know. Yeah. End podcast now. <laughs> um, so you go back to Michigan, you're with your family. Um, and what takes you from that point to you now where you started Trailhead and you're giving back to people who might be in your shoes now. Yeah. So that was, that was still a ways off from, from the project trailhead and everything with that. Mm -hmm. That was still, um, for perspective, that was probably about 10 years ago when I had moved to yeah. Michigan. Um, so went there, moved around a, a few different jobs because again, I didn't go through that career exploration or kind of purpose exploration. Uh, so I was still figuring out just, okay, what's the next job going to be working? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the dream job at this point. I didn't even know what a dream job was for me. And so as long as it pays the bills, as long as it pays a little bit more than my past job or my, my last job, then it's a win in my book. Hmm. Uh, so bounce around a bit, ended up doing some pretty interesting jobs. Uh, the less interesting and the least exciting was working at h and r block making minimum wage at their their front desk uh but again it, it was just a job that was the first one i had coming back so i was like okay it, it puts some money in it's it's not a lot by any means but uh it'll do for now mm -hmm. and then from there i moved up to uh working at a steel plant which mm -hmm. was a unique experience of just you know I, I had always come from that physical labor background whether it was infantry or firefighting so in that sense, it was a natural fit, but I give everyone that works in the industry uh, a lot of respect because I, months into that, my body was already breaking down, getting tennis elbow and whatever else aches and pains that come with uh, mm -hmm. the day-to-day -day tasks and, and responsibilities on that job. Um, did that, and then I worked armed security at a nuclear power plant up in Michigan, which was, was one of the cooler jobs. It, mm -hmm. I mean, it paid the most that I had made at that point. Um, you got to work in a actual nuclear power plant. You got to carry the same weapons that I did in the military. So a lot of similarities and a lot of the people I was working with there were prior law enforcement or, or military members. So it was just that natural team fit with them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So I stayed in Michigan for about five years, met my wife there. Uh, we decided to move back down to Texas. Um, I was going back into firefighting, um, just on the civilian side of this time. So I was working on a military base in Texas as a, as a civilian firefighter, um, moved there and then eventually moved to where we're at now, which is in the Austin area, which is where I really started to find that mission and that purpose, particularly when it comes to like project trailhead and, and figuring out what I can do next for veterans. And for me, a lot of that came with being in a place, not, not being in a place of scarcity where I'm not so concerned with day-to-day -day surviving, how I'm going to pay bills or anything like that. It's more so I'm in a place where I'm, I'm comfortable now. And what can I do to give back to everyone that's on the path behind me? Because I know at least some people are going to have similar struggles or challenges that I did. So what can I do to pass on that knowledge back to them so they don't end up trying to figure out what their own purpose or direction is for 10 years like I did? Mm -hmm. You were still obviously going through that search of your higher purpose, but how was the mental, was the mental struggle still like, were you still on the like come up that entire time? Um, or did you have any issues with that in that uh, 10 year period? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, you, you have the, the daily frustrations of day-to-day -day things like, like for myself, um, there were still challenges, uh, particularly when it comes to like, like different situations, like, like even now today, like I don't like being in large crowds. Like, so, uh, and, and I, I learned this back home in Michigan where they have like a street fair they do every year. Um, and of course there's a lot of people that come from all of the different areas. Uh, it's, it's a big popular event and I was down there and just, you know, you're in the crowd. I'd been there many times before growing up, but, but this time post-military, you start to feel anxiety creep in like, like something's wrong or something's going to happen. Uh, so I had to kind of remove myself, jump off to a side street real quick. And it's kind of like, and, and it caught me by surprise that that first time it happened. Um, but I, I mean, for me, the challenges, I still deal with things like that where I don't like being in crowds. Uh, I do my shopping early in the morning at six o'clock when uh, the supermarket opens. I do my, my workout super early in the morning before people get in the gym. and so. I would say it's a different type of challenge. Um, it's not necessarily dealing with, with abuse of alcohol or, or trying to figure out my meaning and purpose. It's more um, things that I think a lot of it is tr attributed to being in Iraq and situations there and uh, trying to still so overcome those on a daily basis. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Going into that why discussion, which I think is really important and the thing that I think will benefit people the most as they prepare for their transition. Early on, when you said people should take two years to figure out, like two years to prepare for your transition, mostly revolving around figure out where you want to be so you can prepare to end up there. Um, this is a, It's a broad question, but how does someone figure out where they want to be? How do they start building that um, understanding of their why and higher purpose separate from the military? Yeah, that, that's the million dollar question, really. Like, Isn't I think it? that that's something that all of us, whether you're a veteran, a military spouse, or you, you've never been in the military, mm -hmm. uh, as humans, that's really what we're trying to figure out because mm -hmm. 
I, I feel like everyone's here for a meaning or they're here for a purpose. It's just a matter of that discovery and figure out exactly what that reason is. For me, um, I think reflecting back on your past and just thinking of, you know, even just, just to get like a foothold and figure out, you know, okay, what did I do in the military that I, what, what brought me joy? What was I naturally good at? Like, did I enjoy helping? Was there a certain, um, you know, type of client or customer individual that I liked helping? Uh, what was I doing during that time? And that kind of starts to give you those initial indicators of, okay, I could potentially match this with a with maybe like a career field or something like that. So if you really enjoy help, so it's like firefighting for an example, if that's your your mission in life, you most likely enjoy helping people. You enjoy excitement, um, not knowing exactly what every day is going to bring. You enjoy working with a team in a team based environment, and so those are kind of this. Just an example of some of those early indicators. So just just take a look back at your your military experience. Think of the different situations that you really enjoyed from the military, as well as the things that you didn't enjoy. Because just you know, on the opposite side of that, it's going to tell you what you might want to kind of shy away from. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for, for me, and again, it it takes a lot of inflection and really, you know, no one's going to tell you exactly what your purpose or direction is. You're not going to come across a, a crumpled up piece of paper as you're taking a walk in the morning and it says, okay, well, by the way, here's your purpose in life. So go out and pursue it. Uh, no one, no one could tell you exactly what that purpose is. And it has to come from inside of you. It's not going to come. Uh, I would say for most people, I know not for me, for, for me, it didn't happen this way, but it wasn't like, a switch. Like, you know, it wasn't like turning on a light bulb and like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like the path is illuminated in front of you and you know exactly where to go. Um, you know, it could take days, it could take months, it could even take years, like in my case, but you start to get all these little indicators of, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Like I enjoy helping these types of people. Uh, time seems to go by with, you know, super quick while I'm doing these things. So what could I do in those scenarios? What would a, a potential job look look like doing that? And is that something that's actually, uh, you know, companies are hiring for? Can I create my own jobs for that? Uh, so again, a, a lot of a lot of thinking, a lot of reflecting back. And again, it's, it's not going to come from anyone but yourself. Something that I'm interested in talking to you, branching off of that, is when we talk about why. In the military, your why exists almost as like this monolith. Like it's all, all of your purpose in every aspect of your life is tied into one thing, which is your service to this country. When you get out, your values and your purpose are almost like a mosaic in which, in like they're all different pieces and they make something beautiful, which is your whole life. But you have to place every single piece. And so... Do you believe that your why and your purpose can exist within a mosaic piece of your life that has nothing to do with what you do for your job? That's a tough one. I I feel like it it could potentially, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think best case scenario would be you intermesh those together. Of course. Where you, you know, a lot of your time's going to be spent in your job anyways, or your career. 
And so if you can mix your passion and your purpose with a job, then that's the optimal situation. I know for a lot of people, that may not necessarily be the case. You may be in a job because out of necessity, you have to keep it. You have to keep paying bills. Um, for whatever reason, maybe you're unable to move to, to another role right now. Um, but I think it's definitely something you can still pursue on the side, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the reason why I'm asking is I currently have way more purpose from my from this, what we're doing right now, than uh, I do for my cybersecurity role. Like mm-hmm. in that, in my cybersecurity role is fine. Um, but it's a, it's a question that I personally have been working on puzzling out because how I feel currently in this chapter of my life. And so just curious, I'm just curious, um, how you, what your thoughts on it, but going into the holistic value, that mosaic, what are things that, what are aspects of life that you kind of had to figure out outside of the military that you weren't aware of as you were transitioning out? Like you don't even think about it because the military just kind of abstracted that from you. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wow. I have to think about those things. That's another tough one for me because like, (laughs) I feel like a lot of what I took from the military was based on, you know, their core values and stuff like that. So for example, like, like the air force, um, and I, I still have it as one of my personal values is, you know, excellence at all we do, um, service above self and yeah. So integrity first and first one, <laughs> I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want anyone to think I forgot them all, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, those cut for me have kind of bled over into civilian life, um, because I feel they're pertinent to, to what I do on a daily basis. And, uh, I mean, people can adopt their own values. Uh, I think they should. I mean, even if you intermix between the, the different branches and you, you have your own Frankenstein set of values. Uh, but for me getting out, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that kind of caught me by surprise from that, that aspect of it, because, uh, I feel like I was relatively, I mean, I, I feel like my actions speak differently, but I felt like I was relatively disciplined getting out. Uh, of course, with my, my job surge and everything else that didn't kind of, uh, aligned with that but um yeah a lot of a lot of those values were still there it was just mm-hmm. i had to re-uncover them uh mm-hmm. after they were buried getting out and, and going down whatever path as people are looking to create a holistic lifestyle outside of the military uh do you have any advice that you would give them to do that so how does somebody start accounting for all of those individual things that they might not have had to deal with because the military abstracted those things from them. Yeah. Um, for me, a lot of it came from self-discovery of, of getting out and I didn't know what I didn't know. And so when something came up, that's when I kind of had to figure things out as I went. Um, I, I feel a way to potentially overcome that is again doing the informational interviews and talking with other people of mm-hmm. hey as you get out you may want to this may be something you you might want to consider uh, or if you go down this path these are some potential roadblocks that you might uh encounter and 
so for for me it was a lot of you know i did i didn't go through that um i didn't go through those steps of doing informational interviews or utilizing a lot of the resources that we have out there now uh, a lot of those weren't weren't around then but what was there i, I didn't utilize and so it was essentially uh finding myself in a silo and, and figuring things out based on my own experience not based off of what others um and, and any recommendations that they had for me mm-hmm. uh, but yeah yeah i wish i had a better answer in that <laughs> no no it's, it's it's a it's a very out there question so i think your answer is great i it's uh it's it's the hardest thing to answer so if you had if you had the answer perfectly then you'd be the smartest person in the room so uh, which I don't think it, even if you did know the answer, it would most likely be dependent to you as well. So it's like, uh, it's, it's one of those catch 22s. Um, so then for people who are now that you've moved through like the adversity of that initial shock of leaving the military, um, and you work with people now on transitioning out of the military, what are, what is advice that you give individuals to what should what should people do to catch themselves so that they do not like hit that downward spiral um like hopefully avoid that you know negative that negative downturn of emotion yeah one of the things that it's i mean this could be a segue into our um talk on self identity but one of the things i've found is is a lot of people and it tends to be the longer you're in, the more you kind of attach yourself to it. And there's particular branches that are more, uh, you know, the, everyone should be proud of their service, but there are some that, that kind of, you know, go above and beyond uh, as far as boasting a spirit decor and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I, I've found that, um, especially as you're going through the transition, the more you kind of cling on to that military time and service, because mm-hmm. I mean, regardless, it's always going to be a part of your life. Like for me, I think about the military every single day, pretty much. Um, but I don't let that define me. And what I, what I mean by that is some people will always refer back to their time in the military as their identity and, and nothing else to where it's almost this picture, uh, you know, from the past of this is who I was. So this is who I will always be. I'll be exactly that same person. And it can really limit your growth and your potential because, um, I mean, it could constrain you. So when you're trying to reach and go for, you know, a goal that maybe you don't think you can have, uh, it can create negative self-talk or say like, well, when I was in the military, I would never do that. So I'm not going to pursue that. Hmm. Um, and just kind of, yeah, just, just freezing yourself in, in a, a point of time up the military and not saying, okay, I understand that that was formative time in my life it'll always be a part of me it defined a lot of what my values are today and and how i see the world but at the same time like it doesn't have so much of a hold on me that it's gonna limit or or kind of hold me back from what i'm gonna you know whatever path i go down next like mm-hmm. yeah started at least opening that window saying i'm a civilian now like i was in the military that it, there were a lot of great things from that but i'm looking forward to that next the next chapter mm-hmm. Um, and going from there for this conversation about self-identity um you've already said it overly grounding yourself in your military identity 
will have catastrophic effects as you leave the military because like you move further and further away from that thing. Um, so in your opinion, what is, what should people be grounding their identity in or how should they go about figuring out what that self identity looks like? Yeah. So I will, I'll say what, what not to do. Uh, meaning that, and I see this a lot with transitioning military members is that they chase a title, um, program management or project management tends to be a pretty, pretty popular one, just because it correlates to a lot of what we do in the military, regardless of, of what your job title is. And so for a lot of people, they chase that title and that kind of contributes to their self-identity of I'm not John, who's a person that's creative and intelligent and pursues things that are outside my comfort zone. I'm John, the project manager or the program manager. And so they attach a lot of their self-identity and their, their worth to a title or to a company uh, or whatever it may be. And it really, it, it holds them back of finding that true self-identity and, and who sure. they are as an individual. Uh, so I'll say what, what not to do. And um, again, I see it a lot is it's okay to have that goal of, of going toward a certain company or, or a certain title. But don't that don't let that define whether it's success or failure the type of person that you are after the military. That makes sense, and I think that it's great advice because if you're if you if you ground your identity in a job or in a company, then your emotional peaks and valleys are tied to something that's inherently out of your control. Like if a company fires you, which a lot of people are experiencing that right now that's going to very negatively impact your emotions. Even though you might've been doing a great job, you just happen to end up on the wrong side of an HR algorithm that cut you. And so um, I think that it's good advice to say, like, be very careful about what you're deciding to self-identify as because those things will have an outstated effect on your emotions and how you feel like you're doing in life. And so just be very careful on what you're tying your identity to, which I think is um, incredibly important. And so what do you think are things that are worth grounding your identity in, even though those things do have an outstated impact on your life and how you perceive things are going? A lot of it comes from, from deep within. Like, <laughs> I don't want to sound... Uh, you know, like super hippie or whatever it is, but a lot of it, it comes from that self-discovery of figuring out, you know, really what are your traits and characteristics as an individual, again, absent of, of any company or any title or, or your status and whether you're at where you want to be or whether you're not, mm -hmm. um, it, it comes down to those values. It comes down to, to what you enjoy and, and kind of how you live every day. Um, yeah. These are some tough questions, Billy. Okay. I'm a heavy hitting podcast host. It's what I, <laughs> it's what I do. Um, no, it's, it, again, it's, it's, they're tough questions because they're the most important questions. Like what people choose to, it's, they're very important. They're very hard to answer and they're very personal. And so it's like what works for someone does not necessarily work for someone else. And it's just hard to really dig in and go like, 
what are what am I grounding my values in and what are why are they important to me? Like those are those are questions, but they're questions that I think people should uh, ponder as as much as possible. Um, so for veterans that you've worked with who are really tied to the that like they're really chasing the two types of variant talked about the people who are really chasing that goal or the ones that are like a spree to core to the max. Um, what advice do you, what do you generally tell them when you're working with them to help them hopefully kind of rebalance how they view themselves um, and start working in that direction? Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of like an analogy of, of looking at, you know, looking through a telescope at a certain point in the sky where, what you see is so clear. So if I'm chasing a, a project manager role at, at Tesla and that's the only thing I'm focused on, I'm not seeing the rest of the sky. And so a lot of that is missed opportunity because I'm so isolated on this 0.1% of the sky that I don't even know what else, you know, what could be. It could be that company A could have a way better, uh, you know, whether it's a different different title or career field that I'm going after or whether it's a different company and the benefits and everything else, mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity out there and it, it's hard to assess and take in all of that, but you don't want to become so isolated and focused on pretty much this or, or else where it's this thing or, or nothing. Um, focusing on that is it, tough because it really, it, you're putting yourself in a box of, of not really seeing everything that could be that's out there for you. Um, and then for those that, that have that strong attachment to the military, um, again, just letting them know, like it, it's a good thing that you're proud of your service and you, you should be, but at the same time, um, you know, just don't hold on to it. And it, it, it's easier said than done to say, okay, you know, you'll, you'll always be part of this branch or you'll always be, uh, an infantryman or whatever it may be, but at the same time, like. Again, don't don't define everything that could be because of what was. It's not just military service. If you tie yourself down to anything, then moving on from that thing is going to be incredibly difficult. And so I think that being able to having the ability to be flexible and to kind of ebb and flow with the tides of life while also being aware of a wide aperture of your surroundings, I think is very important. So I think that's excellent advice. Um, so one thing I want to go into next is your so project trailhead. Um, what is it? Why did you start it? And uh, just give everyone a little bit of a, like, like a, what's, what's the sales blurb on uh, what people can, uh, what, what people can get, like expect to get from the, from the organization. So Project Trailhead is the pathway. Uh, it, it's what Essentially, it's what I wish I had as I was getting out of the military. Um, because as I got out, as I started talking to veterans and transitioning members and, and military spouses, I started to notice common themes, whether it's around, okay, how do I write a resume? How do I interview with this company? Um, what is my mindset supposed to look like? And what am I supposed to expect as I get closer to my transition date? All of these questions uh, were repetitive. And I said, okay, if, if five people are asking this, there's probably 500 more that are out there that are asking the exact same question. And framing that along with 
what I wish I had known getting out and what my experiences were, I started to create a framework and a roadmap of, and, and it, it's catered to, um, you know, because each group is going to have different challenges and, and roadblocks, whether you're a, a military spouse, you're already out of the military, or you're in the transition process or getting ready to enter that. Um, the challenges vary. And so there's different pathways for each of them uh, that have estimated timelines of, okay, you're two years out from uh, ETSing. This is what you need to be focusing on. One year out, okay, now we're focusing on your resume. Three months out, we're putting in job job applications and we should start to start hopefully hearing back from uh, interviewers. And then how do we actually integrate into these companies? Because as you as you probably seen, um, working in the corporate environment is much different than the military side. And so <laughs> at, at least like giving people the insight into what they could potentially expect into that. Because what I found for a lot of people is it could be a bit of a culture shock, um, military versus civilian, particularly the corporate side of things. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of how I created Project Trailhead was just, I want something that people could follow that's easy. I know there are a lot of resources out there for, for all of these different groups. What if we could condense that into one that gave them that framework and that also provided additional recommendations of like, okay, if you're looking for career consulting or, or you're looking for a resume preparation, like, these are some of the top companies. So instead of vetting through a thousand different companies or, or different um, people that they could reach out to, here are the most popular that a lot of veterans have seen success with. Check them out. And if it's not for you, it's not. But these are the top ones. So as someone who's now created this organization, has advised a lot of veterans on how to transition and has taken the time to post-mortem their own transition what do you think you would have needed to hear as you were preparing to leave to have gotten you engaged with all of these different things that you've identified are important for someone to have a a successful transition out of the military i would say i wish someone told me just sat me down and said you're not going to know everything getting out. You're not expected to know everything, but make a decision and go with it. And I feel like that's another, another kind of repeating cycle that veterans can find themselves in of, okay, this didn't work. Now I'm going here and I'm going there. Um, or they don't make a decision at all. They say, well, I'm overwhelmed with resources. I'm overwhelmed with different options. Like I don't, I don't know which way to go. Um, and, and for myself, like, we always want to be that expert, that person to go to for things. We want to be the people or the person that knows everything, but simply getting out and not having that experience before. It's a brand new situation that you're in, the entire uh, transition experience. And so by nature, you're not going to have everything figured out. You're not going to know exactly what your path looks like every single day. A lot of things going to be ambiguous in that, but make a decision, adjust course as you go. And then learn from each of those lessons, which for me was, that was probably one of the most impactful and beneficial things that I did. Um, Army calls it AARs or after action reports or after action reviews. Um, but I did that after every single interview I did, whether it went well or whether it was horrible after every job submission, um, hearing back from the recruiter, I would say, okay, what, what went right? What went wrong? How can we improve on this for next time? And that 
minute iteration of my practices and what I found most beneficial, what actually worked in the civilian world is I feel what really led me up to where I'm at today. You said that people should start preparing for their transition two years in advance. And how do we, as people who are as veterans, uh, so this is for the veteran audience, how do we get penetration into the market that matters the most, which is people who are still serving should hear messages like this, or they should be engaging with Project Trailhead early to be able to prepare, to be able to do that ideation. How do we get that level of access into the minds of the people who need to hear this information more than anything else? Aside from actually going to a military base and talking to their yeah. uh, transition coordinators, I feel like the biggest medium is LinkedIn. And I see a lot of great things on the uh, the platform, particularly when it comes to military. Uh, I feel like a lot of these transition coordinators that are working on bases are pushing military members to to have a profile and an account on there, which I think is a great thing because it's still underutilized in my book. Um, it's a great way to reach out and to start connecting with people, uh, whether you're a veteran service organization or you're a transitioning veteran yourself. Um, we're both there. It's just a matter of connecting us, uh, particularly on the side of, of supporting veterans from a business of building that content, putting the content out there and really understanding the root cause and issues that the veterans are having, because if, if you're not aligning what they're experiencing now with what they're actually experiencing, then it's going to go in one ear and out the other hmm. versus if you can really speak to individuals to have those different segments of, of putting yourself in their shoes and saying, okay, I'm getting, and this is kind of how I um, built out the pathways with, with project trailhead was, you know, I have this user who's three months from getting out. They don't know, they don't know exactly where they want to go. They don't have a resume built out yet. Like looking as a business owner, like how do I help them? Hmm. And so if we can do that and we can meet individuals where they're at right now, regardless of, of where they're at in the transition phase, um, then we, they start to listen and they really, you know, they become advocates and followers. And then from there, uh, it just builds organically. And mm. I feel like that's the best way. Um, word of mouth is always <laughs> in business. Word of mouth, I feel like is the best way because, you know, you, you trust your friends, you trust your, your buddies. And so when they recommend some, something to you, it's going to hold a lot more weight versus like a promoted ad or something like that, where they have that, that backing and they say, okay, I went through this. This is legit. Like, how about you check it out? I think that there's so many paths that one can take in terms of preparing for their military transition that um, unless one of your friends is telling you, hey, you should really check out this thing, which is how I found all of the resources that I accessed when I was preparing for my transition, you you just won't find, there's like too much, like the noise is just too crazy. But um, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so the... The last question that I want to ask you uh, before we before we wrap up is a uh, final piece of advice. Um, I know you have notes, so what I'm looking is the, at them. Yeah, what is the last thing that you want to leave the uh, listeners with before we close out? 
Yeah. Um, okay. I'll pick one and then I'm just going to, I'll list the other ones just because like, do I, it. I, I don't want do people it. to you, miss out. No, you took a, like, actually instead of final advice, what do you have left on your notes that you want to talk about? All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll just go down the list here. Uh, we already covered, you won't have everything figured out. Mm-hmm. Uh, planning early daily tasks. Um, Okay, here's here's one that kind of got me early on. And we touched on it briefly, but employers, you know, employers are going to show their support for the military. They're appreciative of the service, your service to the country. But that by no means obligates them to hold a job for you, to extend a job offer to you, um, which is, I've seen that before, the expectation from, and not everyone, it's, it's, more on the rare side, but you do see occasionally people expecting employers to give them a job just because they're a veteran or they served in the military. Um, so you'll find that support. You'll find a lot of support from your coworkers and your managers and everything like that. But it's by no means a free ticket to every single job that you want. Um, so just, just kind of an expectation that I want people to understand. Um, take the time. So talking about that, that, transition point right as you're getting out. So I got my 214. I'm I'm ready to, you know, hit the ground running in the civilian world. I recommend taking at least two to three weeks just to relax and decompress because for a lot of us, the military, the the operational temple that we had is nonstop, especially when you're working in a deployed environment. And so going from one fast-paced environment straight to the next one without taking that time to just relax and, and really think and reflect back on your time in the service. And, and what did you learn? Uh, what are you appreciative of? And, and what are you really looking forward to next? I found that it's, it's beneficial to have that time. Uh, I kind of had an extended <laughs> version of that with my time as I got out and partying and all of that. But yeah, take, a, take at least two or three weeks, you know, hang out. You, you deserve it. You've, you've spent so much of your time past few years. Uh, going nonstop, you know, take a breath and then you can focus on what the next chapter is going to hold. So once you're in, and this is something that I encountered as I moved into the corporate space and, you know, coming from the military side, we're go-getters. Like we, we want to be the person that people go to for things. We want to be the person that helps. Uh, We attribute all that to the team side of things. For me, I wanted, especially early on, I wanted to be that individual. So I would take on every task. My manager said, Hey, we need help over here. Like, no problem. I'm on it. Hey, we're looking for, you know, two people to help out over here. Okay. Like I got a pretty busy schedule, but you know, I'll help where I can. And, you know, I found myself in a, in a stage of burnout where, you know, you just, you dread coming into work or logging in every day because you know, there's going to be a thousand tests waiting for you. You don't have time to take that breath and, and just, you know, relax for a second. It's, it's nonstop. And, and a lot of it is self-induced of trying to be that go-to person for every single thing. So understand your boundaries, communicate them with your manager. Um, it's okay not to, you know, not to be the person that has to step in in every single situation. Like you probably work at a company where there's other people. So let them help, you know? I think that that's great advice because like, especially for me coming out as an officer, we're kind of these like uh, masters of masters of none uh, where we're always just taking on random stuff 
that the unit throws at us. And so when I got into my first role outside of the military, it was like, I just felt like I needed to take more and more stuff on because it was never just my job in the military. It was always like, you're going to be a teacher, but you're also going to be the PT lead. And you're also going to be the guy who makes sure the building's okay. <laughs> like all the additional duty stuff. And so I think that that's amazing advice because it took me a long time to actually like think that and um, get over that initial like, oh, I just need to take and take and take and take and take uh, mentality. This was a big one for me as well. So particularly speaking with interviews. So you're getting out of the military, you're starting to interview. One, you need to be a, you need to be a salesman, salesperson for yourself. Mm. No one. And what I mean by that is. As you go into that interview, and a lot of this comes from that military culture that we're developed in, mm -hmm. is we attribute every success to the team. You know, I didn't do this. The team did that. I was just a part of that. And it's great, but as you're interviewing, they're not interviewing your entire team for the job. They're interviewing you. And so whether it's your resume or whether uh, it's when you're answering interview questions, you need to talk about what you did. And it's okay if you're a part of that team. But what was your contribution to it? Um, because I find a lot of people kind of, they downplay their successes and their accomplishments because they say, this is what the team did, not necessarily, this is what I did. Um, so those, that was one of those hard lessons learned uh, early on for myself, answering interviews with a lot of team-based questions or team-based answers versus mm -hmm. telling them exactly what I as an individual, uh, what John as a squad leader was doing. Okay, purpose. And um, so for this one, speaking of purpose, I know we talked about connecting to a purpose, having that mission and that direction. In my, my opinion is it's okay if when you first get out that that purpose, mission, and direction isn't the perfect one for you. But you need to be connected to some type of purpose, mission, and direction. Um, to stay afloat and, and the, again, have that reason for getting up every day. But every step you take, every new job you look at after that and that you consider should be a step towards a more defined and one that's in line with what your, your personal mission direction uh, and purpose are. So again, like, like for myself starting out, like every job I've had over the years wasn't the optimal job. It wasn't what I wanted to do waking up, but every job I took after that was one step closer to that. So I was always trying to get closer to the veteran space because this is what I enjoy. Uh, this is a, the segment that I enjoy working with. And so every step I'd say, okay, like, like how does this contribute to that, that mission that I have and that drive to work with, you know, X type of individuals in this case being veterans. So, and the same goes for jobs themselves. Like each one's a stepping stone to the next one. Try not to take, steps back you may have to have to now and then because of necessity but for the most part as, as long as you can prevent it like everything is a step towards that horizon that you picture for yourself and what you want your future to be envisioned as i love that thought because then it it allows you to view everything even your failures as a step in the right direction because you're narrowing down the possible paths whether it's a success or a failure. And I think that too many people pick something right out of the military that doesn't work out. And then they go, 
well, I made a horrible mistake. And uh, then like, oh, I'm a failure now when they should be saying, well, I there was an infinite number of choices I could have made. I made one of them and that one just didn't work out, which statistically speaking, there's a very low chance that it was going to work out. And so it's uh, I think people need to hear that to have the freedom to be okay with making mistakes in their transition. So I, I really I really love that. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's great advice because, yeah, again, you're not going to have everything figured out. And that no. first job you take after the military, which this leads me to another thing that just popped up. But, yeah, that, that first job you take out of the military, mm-hmm. it may not be the, the optimal draw, job or the dream job, but that's okay because you're learning. And then with that, just that's just one thing cross off of, okay, I explored this. It wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, so I'll check that off. I'm not going down that path. I have 15 different paths that I can go down. So it it helps to narrow that, that direction of this didn't work, but this might, but I know I definitely don't want to go down this path again. Um, and and again, it's, it's okay. Hardly anyone I know comes out of the military and jumps straight into a perfect job. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's almost impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking particularly of resumes, the mindset I take on resumes and what I share with people mm-hmm. is it's it's not a background check. They're not doing a full poly on you of every single thing you've done in the past 20 years. It's the goal of a resume is to get you that initial call with the recruiter, and that's it. It's to catch their eye to say, this person meets the, the qualifications that we have. Let's learn a little bit more about them. And so that's, it's important because, I mean, speaking of recruiters, especially now, a lot are inundated with a a large volume of of resumes and applicants. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to be clear and concise when it comes to your resume to highlight uh, with metrics, with clear language that's universally understandable. Uh, And something that just stands out that says, you know, Hey, here's exactly what I did. Everything is front loaded to the the top half of the first page of why I'm a great candidate, why I'm the best candidate for this job. Uh, because I guarantee the majority of recruiters aren't going to read your resume word for word and digest every single thing. They're going to scan through it. They're going to look for numbers, figures, and things that are bolded. Mm-hmm. If you can, you can do that and you can highlight your accomplishments right off the bat, uh, give a quick summary. You're going to be in a way better position than um, hiding everything. The the perspective I have is the more information you have on your resume, the easier it is for the important stuff to hide within all of that text. So mm-hmm. clear and concise is, is the name of the game. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, wish I had that advice when I was writing my resumes. So it's, uh, I really appreciate you putting that out there for people. Last one I have deals with failure because mm-hmm. you're going to experience you know, regardless of, of how you come out and how well you prepared, prepared getting out, you're going to experience some type of failure. And it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to fail. It just shows you what not to do the next time. Similar to exploring a job that maybe you took out of necessity, but it isn't what you want to do long-term. So we just cross that off the, uh, cross that off and move on to the next one. But people are going to tell you, no, uh, I applied to over a thousand jobs over the past 10 years. And 900 and something of those were no's or they ghosted me and didn't reply back. Um, so just, just be comfortable 
with when they tell you no, like it's not the end of the world. You'll be in my case, I've made it to final interviews multiple times, going through multiple stages just for the recruiter to eventually tell me no. And it's, it's defeating. It's disheartening because you put so much time and commitment into this to where you expect them to give you a job offer. And then out of nowhere, they just pull out the rug and tell you another candidate was selected for it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not personal. It's, you know, maybe they already had another candidate in mind. Maybe they, there was a candidate that, you know, for whatever reason was better than you. Uh, but you had to focus on what you can control. And if you focus on what you can't control, it'll beat yourself. You, you'll beat yourself up. You'll become frustrated. Uh, so do those self-assessments, figure out exactly what I did right, what I didn't do right, what I need to improve on. And just understand that the only thing you can, you can, really do is focus on the things that are within your control um yeah i love it and i think that that's a excellent place to end because i think that one of the biggest traps that i fell into was focusing on things i had zero control on i got so stressed every single time i had to send paperwork up to the va and wait on their decision or i got so stressed when i was waiting on um, Amazon to come back and like give me a decision on my first round or my second round of interviews. And so if you are good at identifying what you can and cannot control, you're going to save yourself so much stress on, uh, on the back end. If you just say, this is out of my, I did my best. This is out of my control and whatever happens happens, um, which is way easier said than done for sure. But, um, it's something that would have saved me a lot of cycles and stress and uh, lost sleep during my transition. So I think it's an amazing thing for people to hear. So, but John, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been awesome getting to talk to you and thank you for being willing to bear yourself uh, before this audience. Uh, thank you for being willing to be open, to be vulnerable, for sharing your story. Uh, I think a lot of people are really going to benefit from hearing uh, hearing what you've had to say. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Billy. Uh, it's a fantastic mission that you're on. Um, a lot of people need to hear this and they need to hear um, these perspectives and you're at the forefront of, of helping them as they go off on their next chapter and, and their continuing journey. So um, appreciate much it. appreciation to you and everything that you do and having this platform uh, yeah. in a way for me to voice my experience and my journey and what it looks like in the hopes that we can uh, reach other individuals and, and hopefully not have them make the same mistakes that, that the both of us have made throughout our journeys. For sure. I, I really, if someone can do it just a little bit better than either of us did, uh, then we did our job right. Absolutely. Um, but uh, for everyone out there listening, if you need help with uh, writing resumes, are looking for direction on how to find your next career, highly recommend that you look up Project Trailhead. Uh, that uh, The link to John's website will be in the description to this video. So check that out if that's something you're interested in. Um, but if you uh, if you're out there listening, and you love this content. We would highly uh, appreciate the uh, the like and the subscribe. Uh, and also, if you are a veteran and you know people who um, would benefit from this content, who are still serving, please uh, send it their way. Um, we would really appreciate it. So, 
thank you again, John. And thank you so much for everybody who's been listening. Uh, we'll see you on the next time on the Post Military Podcast. Peace.